What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast, Talk With Beauties. Today's episode, we got um, another interview today, second interview of the podcast. We're going to talk about college basketball today. So let's introduce our guest. She played at Stanford University for college basketball. She's considered one of the best, most recognizable coaches in the women's college sports. She coached at Arizona State for 25 years, racking up many records, accolades for the school and for herself. Currently known as Professor, please welcome Coach Charlie Turner Thorne. How's it going, Coach? Good, Miles. Thanks for having me on. I'm very happy to have you on. I'm very excited to have you on. Another interview. It's always fun to have more people on. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure. So let's get right into it. So you're probably one of the most recognizable coaches, not just at the school, but in college basketball. Does, does that kind of like, do, do you feel you that with you? Are you calling me old? No, no, no. Are no, no. old? Yeah. I'm not calling no. you old. <laughs> um. You know, I've, I have been around a while. It, the profession was amazing to me. You know, 33 years in Division One college basketball and then played for four years. So, yeah, it was, it was a really, really good time. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at your numbers, you, you have probably the, not just Arizona State records, but just records on top of records, which is just unbelievable. And when you got into Arizona State, that team was just not very good. I was looking at their numbers. I think <laughs> when the program started, they were 20 and 60 when you took over uh, altogether. And you really just made that into a winning culture there. So uh, as an Arizona State fan, we really appreciate that. And as your career has gone on, I mean, I you have really uh, fonded over those memories over there. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of great players, a lot of great staff. You know, you don't do anything by yourself. So we, we did. We, you know, it took a minute. We did it the right way. Um, here's a fun or not so fun fact for you and your listeners. We started a freshman walk-on point guard my first year at ASU. That's how much the program had just kind of, you know, fallen into disarray and, you know, just wasn't competitive, didn't have high standards. And uh, yeah. And, and five years later we won a PAC 10 championship and, you know, we were consistently in the NCAA tournament. So um, yeah, but it was, yeah, just, you know, good, good coaches and, and, you know, players taking a chance on us early. And then once we kind of built it, you know, then it was kind of a, a place, a place to be, which was fun. Yeah. That, that's amazing. I mean, you, you think about when coaches have to do like open tryouts and they start freshman people, you know, the success is not going to be there for that season, but to go from, from that to pack 10 champs in, <laughs> in five years or so, I mean, that that's unbelievable. Well, I mean, I think I'm very proud of those players and my staff and during that era because because we didn't cheat. You know, we didn't take any shortcuts. When I when Kevin White hired me, he said, "I don't want you to lose anybody. Just graduate them. You know, we know you're not competitive. You know, you, we know you're not very good. You know, they probably shouldn't be at this level." And we did that. You know, we pretty much you know, graduated the group that was there. Fortunately, they were mostly older players, so we didn't have them for too long, oh, okay. and we were able to you know, recruit a lot of players in, but that took time, you know, because we weren't an established program. Um, yeah. yeah. You had to develop that winning culture, get your own team in there, get your recruiting to work out. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you're an Arizona state student. It's a beautiful campus. It's a very, very good university. Um, and you know, we had, we had, we had a lot to sell. I mean, I'm, to this day, I you know, when people are interested in Arizona State, I'm like, oh man, and I just go on my spiel of <laughs> all, yeah. the, all the amazing things about Arizona State University, and and then you know when, uh, for the most part, through my whole tenure, we had you know ads and and uh, and of course our our president that that supported women's basketball, so that was that was fun. Yeah, that that's great. Getting support from they, not just uh, the fans but also the school really matters. Well, it does. I mean, I, you can't really build a program. Like if you look at all the top programs today in college basketball, I guarantee you there's not a one of them that doesn't have an administration that really wants them to be successful. If your administration doesn't really want you to be successful, it's too competitive. I mean, and it, you know, it's yeah. an arms race and there's millions of dollars being invested in women's basketball, you know, we're the flagship sport uh, right now for women's athletics. We, I mean, we definitely, you know, cost the most and, uh, and, you know, it's, kind of at an all-time high, not kind of, it is, in terms of viewership, fan base, all those things um, have never been higher, you know, um, 
So it's, uh, this is good, you know, I mean, then I don't know if we'll touch on, but then we have all the other things going on in college athletics. So it's, it's kind of mixed blessings these days, Miles, yeah. in terms of the, you know, the, the great things going on and then the challenges in college athletics. Yeah. It's really that trade-off you, you get a lot of support, but also there's also the other stuff behind the scenes that are really just kind of defining college sports nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And then support is a whole new, um, what that looks like is a whole nother animal now with the collectives and the NIL deals and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it used to be, you know, have a great marketing team and, you know, let's, let's, you know, make sure that, you know, we have enough resources to travel well and do certain things. And now it's, you know, how, how much, how many thousands of dollars can you have to pay your players? Unfortunately, it's, that's where it's come down to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially power five. Now I think when you drop below power five, I mean, you've got some top high mid majors like a Gonzaga, you know, I'm sure yeah. that they have some deals for their athletes and men's and women's side um, and, and some other schools and, you know, they'll do some smaller things and, and maybe they'll get some Alston money. Um, which I can explain if, if you think your listeners care what that, what, what that, what that looks like. Um, it's 6,000 extra dollars every year for student athletes. Uh, that was that lawsuit that, 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 uh, uh, the, the, basically the public one or, you know, athletes won against the NCAA. So now the institutions okay. are allowed to pay above and beyond, uh, you know, so now student athletes get tuition, room, board, books, fees. They get cost of attendance. So above all that, they get money to help when they're traveling to and from okay. home. Plus, plus athletic departments are allowed to pay for travel just above and beyond what they give them in terms of cost of attendance. And now on top of that, they can, they can get 3000 per semester, 6000 total for the year, free money to just help pay their expenses. Now, none of that includes NIL deals. Interesting. So... Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a lot coming in, um, a lot of potential, not all like mid majors and most low D ones cannot afford to pay Alston money. Okay. You know, their athletes might get, you know, I mean, that's up to that amount. Right. So power fives, all those kids are, are getting that money um, yeah. at different levels. Um, you know, low D one NAI stuff like that. You're, you're, you know, I mean, some of those players aren't even on full scholarship, but um you're not getting, you know, they just don't, those athletic departments do not have the money. And, and, and frankly, um, since we're, we're talking about it, you know, most athletic departments don't really have the money. I I think the statistic, um, it's actually a great article in Stanford magazine. I I get my alumni association magazine once, whenever a month or two. And uh, (laughs) they did a, they did a great article about NIL and how it's impacting college athletics. And I think, I mean, don't it's I'm in the ballpark of maybe 78 percent of athletic departments. It could even be a little higher, you know, are in debt. You know, they, they don't make money like this illusion that there's all this extra money. Yeah. So the athlete should be getting it. Um, I'm not saying, you know, it's not good that, you know, we're not helping the athletes, but there's not the money's not there. Like this is creating a huge burden on athletic departments to find more money because now donors are giving directly to athletes what where that money used to help fund the sports. Yeah. That, you know, a lot, that's a lot interesting because they, they come off as there's so much money around here. We're just giving it to the athletes at this point. Cause we have too much where it, it seems like that's yeah. the total opposite. <laughs> well, and here's my personal theory. You want my personal theory, Miles? Let's hear it. My personal theory is all of this really can be pinpointed back and stems from these outrageous salaries from coach for coaches. You know, I mean, football coaches getting, you know, $120 million over X amount of years, you know, whatever, $10 million a year. Um, you know, some men's basketball coaches, too, getting, you know, multi-million yeah. dollar contracts. Well, the athletes are looking at this, and the public, for some, you know, to some degree, are looking at this. And that's where they're thinking, well, if you can pay a coach that, surely you should be paying, you know, surely we can give a few thousand dollars to these athletes. It's, yeah. it's kind of, I think, where that you know, where we started going down the rabbit hole. I, um, I can see where and, that's, that's a good correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, we should, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think, I mean, coaching is a very hard job and there's a lot of sacrifices, but you know, they look at the TV money and so, you know, they, 
they say, oh, well, you know, we've got to pay this much. So it, it, it's just gotten, that got out of control. And the fact of the matter is like, um, you know, donors pony up for that money. And now, you know, not only are they having to do that, but they're, you know, they're trying to get donors to, to pay for the athletes. And I don't think yeah. it's sustainable. My, my personal opinion is it's not a sustainable model. You know, it is shifting towards a pro model. Um, you know, it was completely football driven. I mean, total money grab. You know, yeah. you just everybody's just sort of sitting there scratching their head. All these smart people, right? All these great leaders, and they didn't think to just take football and make them separate. You know, in terms of conference realignment, in terms of a lot of the things that they're doing, you know, so that you know everybody else wouldn't be so negatively impacted. Um, you know, not to say that all athletes should get NIL, because yeah. here's here's another um, fact that you know, fun fact, not so fun fact that I think a lot of people don't know, like there's a lot of college athletes that do not get full scholarships. So football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, golf, and I think tennis are headcount sports. Those are sports that only operate in full scholarships. Every other sport, baseball, track and field, swimming and diving, soccer, softball, are equivalency sports, wrestling, Every other sport is an equivalency sport. And what that means is like as, uh, I don't know, Zeke, you know, ASU wrestling, uh -huh. um, maybe he has, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, so I'm going to make something up. Let's say he has 15 full scholarships and he has like 32 guys on his team. You know, if he's got an Olympian, if he's got a, you know, Anthony Robles, he maybe puts him on a full scholarship. But most of the players, same thing with baseball, you know, Willie might have a top, you know, draft pick pitcher and he'll be on a full scholarship, but most of the players get partials. Interesting. So the whole Alston money and NIL is, I mean, it's super great for those athletes, right? Because they, yeah. you know, they're not even on full scholarships and for them to get a little more to, to fill they're in They're actually the benefiting from it. Right. Right. And uh, I mean, everybody's benefiting from it, but you know, you see like, wow. I mean, for me from just a, you know, okay, is this what's best for the greater good? I mean, I, I, I love that, that for those athletes. I mean, for the athletes that are already getting a lot, you know, it's, you know, and then you add NIL on top of it. I was kind of, you know, the NIL, like, okay, wow, Miles, you know, you're just, you know, you're so, you've got such a great personality, you know, you've got such a great brand, you know, hey, if you can get a deal with Verizon or Ruth Chris Steakhouse, you know, go for it. Like, that was the initial intent of all this. Yeah. You know, that, that, okay, you've got a great brand, you know, you're a student athlete as a student athlete, you're never allowed to do anything to make extra money. Yeah. The idea was, okay, you know what? That's silly. We should, if, you know, if they want to let have miles, you know, uh, you know, be a spokesperson or do an ad or, you know, do an appearance for them. You totally can get paid for that. Well, we went from that. We kind of had this sort of um, lull in the NCAA leadership because, you know, Mark Emmert is kind of on his way out. They hadn't really hired somebody new. And then this thing just exploded onto the scene and it just is a runaway train, right? So there wasn't, you know, I, this is my version of it. So, um, you know, not a lot of oversight. And so, I mean, the universities just ran with it, right? So they're just building collectives and basically getting as much money as they can and letting the coaches, you know, buy athletes. That was never the initial intent of this whole program you know the nil it was name image and likeness you know what you're allowed to make money outside of your scholarship if you can do that and now the new um <clears throat> president charlie baker is saying well why don't we just let the athletic departments manage it so i mean <clears throat> which they were doing anyway but now they're basically just saying it's almost which i was really surprised i thought he would try to do a better job of reeling it back and by doing that i mean he does want the athletic departments to help the athletes manage their money, you know, because some of these kids are getting millions of dollars, you know, and, and, you know, yeah. they don't be, Hey, you got to pay taxes. And then, you know, you, you should like put some of this invested, you know, like just help them with, with things, um, with managing their money yeah, you, and you know, with their situation and maybe even cut out some of the agents yeah. that are involved. I don't, I don't know. This is really new. Um, but, it's, it was never intended to be this free-for-all, 
buying players, you know, basically one, you know, total pro model um, approach. Yeah. I don't know how they would regulate that. That's the only thing. Well, I mean, I mean, in general, all NCAA rules, all of them honor code. I mean, there's not like, you know, you know, 2000 NCAA people driving or like, you know, our police officers, you know, like there's not, they're not driving around all over trying to like, enforce things like enforcement is almost all self-report or other person reported you know so you you're on your honor or you know if someone catches you cheating they can turn you in and that's a laborious process that oftentimes you know there's not enough evidence or whatever so it's they're really it's really hard you're right like to your point like yeah i mean whatever they're doing like when as soon as they start going down this road you know how how are how are they possibly going to enforce it? Yeah, it, it they, it's they a can't. mess right now. But the first twenty four hours was a mess. I mean, they opened up the door to players could do this, and then all of a sudden you see deals left and right, like million dollars here, a couple thousand there. It's just like, geez, like it was it wasn't even twenty four hours, and we already had to deal with who's getting how much money and who's going where. It has it has um, uh, stimulated the job market because. <laughs> universities are having athletic departments are having to hire people just for these positions. Um, sports agencies are now um, even just overall, like talent agencies are hiring people to just, you know, represent these young athletes, which never yeah. you know, was never, it was always, you know, maybe, you know, maybe at the end of the college career or pro athletes. And now it's a big thing. Okay. Go get that new, you know, star high school kid that's uh you know going to wherever to play and it's uh so it's interesting yeah yeah very interesting all right so let's move on to stanford so you played at stanford you you played there uh under another great coach uh tara yeah Vanderveer. tara vanderveer yes yes she's yeah all-time winningest coach ever um so tough to beat <laughs> tough to beat that was uh um, when you were there at stanford uh, when you had her as a coach, was that something that kind of boosted you to beating being a coach in the future? Or was that just something that just happened to be organic and you? Yeah. You know, I think, well, I mean, I actually, my first coaching gig was I was 14, 14 or 15. I couldn't even drive because after practice, I would sit there with my little team and we'd all wait to get picked up uh, from practice <laughs> in the park. Um, but I always played park leagues park and recs and i was sitting around at the park and rec because i was kind of you know, a latchkey kid both my parents work i'd hang out at the park and these park administrators like hey charlie you want to coach a team and i'm like what like yeah you want to coach one of the younger kids uh teams and it was like they didn't even have girls leagues back then but they there was a team that had two girls on it and nobody wanted to coach it is is what they eventually told me um hmm. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll coach, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're, down, you're like, yeah, whatever, man. Okay. I'll yeah. I'll try it. And I did. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was not a sophomore. I don't even know how I was. I can't even remember, but I just remember having practices and waiting for my mom to pick me up. Um, but that was, you know, and then all through college, I worked basketball camps, which is really fun. And, you know, you're coaching, you're the head coach of a team. You draft your team sometimes. I mean, it was I really, really enjoyed that. And so that's where I started going, hmm. But I thought I wanted to be a sports psychologist. So when I graduated Stanford, I really was actually looking into applying for like clinical psych programs because um, that's what, you know, (laughs) I snuck into a sports psychology conference in Huntington Beach and asked the pioneers of sports psychology, hey, what's the best route? (laughs) And they told me, they said, well, clinical psych is the best route, but I mean, the average age of getting into one of those programs is at 27, 28. And, you know, that was not going to be my path. So okay. um, so that's what led me to University of Washington, where I, um, I got to be a graduate assistant coach and really just test the waters of, you know, kind of academia, graduate school or coaching. Because I did have fun coaching. Um, yeah. I wasn't thinking of it as my profession, though. I was just, you know. And, and back then, so back way back then, <laughs> I would say in the Stone Age, uh, when I was a graduate assistant, I actually got to coach, um, which for many years, they then sh- changed that rule. And they gave, they gave you know, uh, teams three assistants, and then the GA was not allowed to coach. 
Now there's six okay. assistants and everybody it's, it's, it's out of control. But uh, it um, seems like a lot. But yeah, it's a lot right now. Too many probably uh, cooks in the kitchen. But but anyway, um, it was amazing the experience I had because Washington was really good. It was actually Stanford and Washington were the two top programs in the Pac-10 at that time. And uh, so I think it was actually, really good experience from those two teams. Yeah, I mean, from Qatar and then Chris Gobrek had a huge influence on me. Um, the defense that we're sort of known for at ASU and through my career, I learned from Chris Gobrek at Washington, the pressure man defense. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just super fun. I mean, and really I went there and I got offered a job actually after my first year, Karen Horsmeyer, who was at Santa Clara university um, offered me a job. And I said, well, I've committed for two years here. You know, I want to finish my master's. And she said, okay. So a year, fast forward a year, she calls me again. She goes, okay, you ready now? And I said, yeah. And uh, so that was, you know, I, that pretty much ended any, any contemplation of, well, should I now try to get my doctorate? I was like, nope, I'm loving coaching. We were, we were wildly successful at Washington. So it was super fun. You know, it was a great coaching staff. I learned a ton. So then I just got to, to go on to um, uh, Santa Clara, which uh, super fun there. I mean, we set the all-time NCAA record for the biggest turnaround in the history of uh, college women's basketball my first year. And wow. we went on, yeah, we won the conference championship. And because the way the tournament was back then, we actually didn't get to go. And we went to the NIT and then okay. we won, knocked off Notre Dame. And we, we actually won the NIT championship. It was much smaller back then. In Amarillo, Texas, it was eight teams. and um, Eight teams? But, Eight teams, yeah. Jeez. Initially, when it started, eight teams, yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was a different. <clears throat> now, now everybody's going to postseason because there's two NITs. I was about to say everybody gets to go to something postseason. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy because you have 68 now with NCAA's. You're going to have 64 with the NCAA second tournament, and then you're still going to have the women's NIT. So you're going to have. Uh, it's a lot of basketball. You know, a lot of basketball. Yeah, a lot, a lot of opportunities, which I guess is good, you know, for coaches and players and stuff. Kind of takes away the, the value of actually. Um, but, you know, everybody wants to be in the big dance, right? Yeah. Miles, everybody wants to be in, like, true March Madness. And, yeah, uh, everyone wants to see their yeah. name on that bracket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the, the be-all, end-all. But um, – I will, just to back up, I'll let you know that like with Stanford, you know, I, back then there wasn't all the recruiting there is now, like now recruiting is insane how many events there are to go to and stuff. Back then there was like one or two tournaments. So I actually just went to Stanford's basketball camp so that I, they would see me <clears throat> and okay. it, it went really well. And then they started recruiting me Interesting. Um, because that, that was my, my dream school. That's, was it? I don't really know why. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't even. My mom. I'm like, why? Why was? I don't know. I've watched it on TV. I don't know. Like the huh. football. T- I don't even know. I mean, it's a, obviously it's a very good school. Yeah. And you know, well located. And I didn't know that much about it, but for some reason, that's where I wanted to go. And uh, very to this day, so blessed it worked out. Because um, we had no college fund for me. <laughs> you know, good old middle class household. Uh, oh, I understand that. Saved up. Yeah, right. And, you know, you don't qualify for anything, but you don't have anything saved. And so uh, <clears throat> very fortunate, you know, to, to, to get the scholarship. And yeah. And then, you know, you know, I was actually kind of the second choice of uh, of the Washington coach because she had a former player and that player who's one of my best friends to this day who coached with me at NAU and ASU went to the Olympics for team handball. So it freed up her yeah. to hire me. <laughs> Yeah, team handball. I that's I don't hear that very often. I mean, you watch yeah, on Olympics, really, but that's it. We don't really play it in the U.S. So they they recruit a lot of former women. They recruit a lot of basketball players, you know, because it's kind of like soccer, basketball. You know, it's that small yeah. outdoor court and size ball helps throw the too. ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Meg Sanders, who was my top assistant at NAU, and then my top assistant at ASU, but she, she took over at NAU after I left and she's still the winningest head coach in the history of NAU. Wow. Um, yeah. Great, great, great coach. Well, so, speaking of NAU, you, yeah. you coached there for three seasons after uh, Santa Clara, if I got that correct. 
You weren't yes. there for a long time, but you were there for a significant amount of time to help yourself pretty much boost your, your resume. So the question didn't come out very clearly with coach, um, unfortunately, but this is the question that we had for her. What was the approach going into NAU as your first head coaching job? Yeah. So a little bit about that, how that transpired. So after three years at Santa Clara, you know, my, my confident self was like, okay, I want to be head coach. Um, and so I actually interviewed for three jobs. I interviewed at, uh, Nevada, Reno. I interviewed at Cal state Northridge and then NAU actually recruited me. And that was Tom Jurich. Um, you know, very, very, well, he's retired now. He was at Louisville. Um, but he is a very well-known AD, uh, amazing career in athletics. And he, he recruited me. So everybody else I was interviewing with committees and stuff. Then I go to NAU, he picks me up, he's taking me around. And basically it's like, Charlie, you're not leaving until you take this job. You, know, <laughs> you, 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 you just need to be here. It was just like, I mean, it could not have been, you know, it was night and day from my other experiences. And um, so I did, you know, and there were a lot of things that I really liked about the NAU situation. And I did, I did plan on being there longer. I wasn't trying to just, you know, get it going and leave. It, it was, so what happened is, you know, we, we, we did get things turned around pretty quickly. And, you know, we had some great kids coming in when I left. And that was really, really hard. Um, so at ASU, they were so bad. They were having a really hard time finding a coach. I mean, it kept in the newspapers, you know, I was tracking it a teeny bit, you know. Yeah. You know, you know, I think people just kept saying no to the job, you know, because <laughs> it was just this bad job. And, and uh, so, you know, come up the hill meet with them um I told them no three times wow long story short yeah I mean they kept asking me and I was like no and finally I mean thank you know Sandy Hatfield Club was uh the SWA at that time and you know she was very persistent and I am very grateful for that because you know I was just being pretty naive about I just I gotta stay here for my players you know I committed to them and and you know my husband my poor husband will He's up there with no job market, you know, selling Dodge trucks <laughs> on the <laughs> reservation. So he's like, really? You don't want to look at that? You know, <laughs> yes. um, you know, we're both from, he's from the Bay Area. I'm from LA, you know, metropolitan areas with a little more going on. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I finally, and everybody around me, my AD at NAU, I mean, everyone's like, well, you know, Charlie, you know, you should probably get, let yourself look at that. And so, you know, thankfully the people around me were, you know, blind about the, the, you know, the situation. And, but it was, it was really hard to leave those players because we really were, you know, and, and Meg stayed there, Meg Sanders, and did just amazing things, you know, with that group and that program. Um, so, but um, yeah, so I finally said yes and, and came down and, you know, it was a, a lot to do when we got here. But, uh, you know, and I, and I, I want to go ahead and mention now, Miles, because you and I, you know, you sent me some questions and I know you really thoughtful ones that are really good things to talk about. You know, one of the things that young head coaches do, uh, one of the mistakes they made, probably the biggest mistake uh, young head coaches make is, is just rushing to hire their staff. Okay. And I did, I did that a little bit at NAU and I had a little bit of turnover and then I did it again (laughs) at ASU. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just have this sense of, the, the two biggest things, and I was guilty of it, is hiring people you know. Like, you, you know, you have a comfort level because you know them. Like, they want to come work here. Oh, yeah. And so they're kind of recruiting you, and you know them, and, yeah. and you fall into that instead of vetting them and really kind of stepping back and thinking about what are my strengths? What do I need around me? You know, how are those people going to complement each other and complement me? And, you yeah. know, that's what you want, right? And, and, and you might, it might not always be ideal, but, you know, you should be – thinking in that way, you should never, ever, ever rush your hires. I mean, there's nothing more important when you take over a program than your staff, you know, and if you don't have a strong staff or, you know, the right staff, it's just going to make things a lot harder. Um, And I, and I did that, you know, in both my head coaching jobs. um, And I talk about it all the time. (laughs) um, And I see coaches do it. Like if there was a statistic, um, I know you're kind of, you're kind of an analytics guy, I think. I'm, I'm a big numbers guy. I like looking at yeah. the numbers. I like seeing. I them. wish I wish we had a number, Miles, for in in across all, every sport. But you could just do men's and women's basketball. Like new first time head coaches, 
how much the turnover, like after their first year um, staff turnover, I, I think it would be out astounding. Really? How many? Yes. I mean, I guarantee you it would be 75% of those coaches lose at least one person. Wow. At least. Um, and, and is that know, because I mean, it's some... just them rushing or is it just because like they find out that it's not the right fit and they should have just taken some more time into it? I think it's not knowing how to really properly vet people like, you know, you don't okay. really know what, know what you're getting. Um, and, and, you know, you, you need to know what you're getting when you hire yeah. people. Um, and, and yeah, I think, and probably they do that, um, more often than not because they just feel this urgency to get their staff in place. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. And people hire their friends. You know, they hire people they're comfortable with, which is not a winning strategy. That's, that's also tough, though. It's like you get that kind of little bit of a peer pressure. It's like we've no, I've known you for so long. I mean, maybe they've helped you with the job. It's like you kind of want to return the favor, and it just ends up not working in, in the right way. No. No, Miles. No. You know, it's not about favors and friends. I mean, you know, you're talking about your livelihood. Yeah, you know, you're talking about these 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 kids' careers, your career. You know, you gotta. It's business. You know, you've got to make the best decisions for everybody, and so yeah. it can't be about your personal relationships and because somebody did you a solid or, you know, I mean, you can help people, but you don't have to hire them if they're not the right person for the job. Yeah, e- even at least steer them in the right direction. Say, hey, like, it's not the right time for for you and me to be coaching together or something like that but hey i know someone else is looking yeah for yeah exactly point them in the right way well said yep you help get them a job but not with you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> saying it the nice way well, i'm trying to help you out but just i don't want you on the staff right now so before we move uh, on I mean, from just, nau oh, um you actually uh met joe marsett there correct i did he was our strength coach um, I don't know if he was, I think he, he was my second and third year. I don't think he was my first year. I think he came in after my first year, long time ago, Miles. <laughs> yes. So a little background, um, Joe, he pretty much runs the program of the sports performance at Arizona state. He's a big strength guy. And I pretty much 90% of my classes have to do with the program is through his, his, uh, teaching. So he's doing everything. I've taken cl- two classes last semester with him. I got another one this upcoming semester. So um, just kind of what was your relationship with him? How did you guys um, like bond into what it is now, which is where you guys are actually teaching together at Arizona State? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy the way life comes full circle. But we were both really young. I was a, you know, young head coach, you know, late 20s. He was young. And, you know, I don't think – I mean, I just remember being really impressed with him. Like he just – like – you know, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, they just, I don't know, can put people through workouts, Mm -hmm. but he, he was always, he was just ahead of the curve. He came in and was talking about, um, and I, and this is pretty vague in my mind, right? Cause I'm 27 and overwhelmed and got got, got all sorts of things going on. So I just trusted him to do his job. I mean, I was definitely not, not really, but I mean, at Santa Clara, I was the strength coach. So, you oh, know, really? I was all, oh yeah, we, you know, we didn't have all these resources. So um, it was nice to even have a strength coach. Yeah. Um, you know, all of this has built up a lot over the years. I about to say, um, it's been a very different compared to when you were at Santa Clara to now where we're having multiple strength coaches potentially in the, the right. weight rooms. But even at ASU, I went to just about every weight workout. Like I always wanted to be there with the athletes and be a part and be in tune. And That's and, good. I think I did that at NAU. I think I was down there. So I always, I always like chimed in. I had strong feelings, you know, I don't think I had strong feelings when I was at NAU, but you know, later sometime, you know, just spinal loading and certain things. I would ask questions and, you know, I would work together with our strength coach. Um, So, I mean, Joe probably has a much clearer vision because I, you know, I'm managing however many hundred relationships a day and, you know, he's not managing that many people, you know, like in terms of his, coaches that he's working with but I just remember being super impressed with him and then when I heard he would came down the valley I'm like oh that's awesome Joe's amazing and uh you know I know I don't know you know with the football coaching change and the way the the whole um all the changes at ASU and the athletic department I think he kind of you know just read the writing on the wall and decided to kind of pivot 
Um, and I don't, I don't think that was a bad idea. You know, it, it's, I mean, it's a great career, but I think a lot of people do burn out, you know, and, yeah, and, and the, I can the see hours, that. the hours are just, you know, you like, there's no off season, there's yeah. no off season, you know, in basketball period. So if you have basketball, you know, but then you don't just have basketball, you have other sports. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's just like, it's a crazy, um, career in terms of work-life balance. You have very little. So I think, you know, in some ways him transitioning out, I hope, I hope, I hope he feels that way, you know, um, but he's, he's one of the best I've ever been around. Like he just, he was just ahead of the curve. He was very smart and doing things back then that I hadn't been introduced to. Yeah. I mean, when, yeah, when I first got here at ASU, I met him. He was one of my first classes in the morning when I first got here and um, a little intimidated. I mean, it's his bigger guy um, talking about strength and conditioning <laughs> and stuff like that. And I'm all like, Oh man, like, you know, my form. I'm <laughs> tall, lengthy skin. I'm all like, this is not me. I mean, I am not a gym guy. I'm not a put on a bunch of weight and, and lift it like crazy, but him being a teacher and him being uh, a strength coach. I mean, I thought it, it's great. And he's still doing a great job. I feel like, cause I got into that class and although I'm not putting on, uh, three or four plates like I'm putting on a plate and he's motivating me it seems like he's he wants to help people be more engaging and crack open that shell which I think is hard for first-time students at a new university so I really appreciate him doing that and I think he's done a great job at trying to incorporate easy stuff but also still getting the best out of uh, his students there I agree yeah he's he's invaluable I wish sometimes that academia was more enlightened about, you know, sometimes they get a little too caught up in my opinion and credentials, you know, do you have your doctorate or not? And, you know, that's just kind of jumping through some hoops and I, okay, now I'm going to get myself in trouble, but, you know, but I mean, obviously I'm very respectful of anybody who had, you know, puts the, you know, the two or three years in to get their doctorate. But when you've been a veteran teacher like Joe, and you're so masterful in your area. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't have the ability to elevate within academia financially or otherwise sometimes. And I think that, um, I don't know, I wish that they would reevaluate those things in academia because, I mean, where are we going to be at with higher education if we don't have teachers like Joe? Yeah, I agree. You know, and one of, the, one of the issues that President Crow understands amazingly well is that, you know, some of these professors quote unquote I'm doing my little rabbit ears and they just <laughs> want to do their they want to do their research you know and they're not good teachers yeah. you know and he kind of created this this uh paradigm where it's like okay we have professors who teach and we have professors who research and I just thought that was brilliant um but you know that we have professors who teach and I sometimes I don't think they're valued as much you know it's yeah. ironic you know yeah. like okay well that's kind of a huge part of our mission is to educate you know, and these people and these students that are paying us, you know, but obviously, you know, I mean, we are a huge business as a university and we need the research dollars do, you know, do pay for a lot, but yeah, I don't know. No, it, it takes a lot to um, really get to those students, but if you're eligible to get through those students, which I think Joe has done a great job and even you being a professor, I think you've get, gotten a good job. I only had one class with you, but I think you got to that class very well um through your experiences and speaking through them i think you uh you and joe have really found a the right happy medium with all of us yeah well thanks miles so you mentioned a little earlier that that family and work balance that that's really hard to do how you have uh three kids you're married how are you eligible to kind of like split off like hey this is work time hey this is me being a mom and a wife time like how difficult is that to balance out? You know, it really depends on the person. I was not very good at it at all. Um, I was very all in, all out all the time with my, with my team, you know, my staff, you know, just always wanted to be there for people. And, and, you know, again, you're managing so many relationships every day. It's just really draining. Um, you know, we took, we took a family vacation. I think one thing that was amazing was all the travel that my family got to do because of my job. Okay. You know, I coached twice with coached twice with USA basketball. So they went to Serbia. They went to the south of France. Uh, we did four 
we did four foreign tours with ASU. They went to Italy. They went to Australia. They went to Costa Rica. Um, one of my kids went to New Zealand. Um, so there was just, you know, and they've all been to the Caribbean and Hawaii and, and Mexico with basketball. So that's great. Now that's cool, I, I say it really cool. Now I was working on all those trips. So it yeah. wasn't like, quote unquote, a great vacation for me. But I did get to be with them. And it was some time that we got. And I just love, I just think travel is an education unto itself. And my family got to do a lot because of basketball. So that was awesome. And uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I just, I would encourage people, you know, working moms out there and people with, you know, really demanding jobs. The, the thing that I would say to them is it's just a job. You know, I don't think I did a good enough job at times. I mean, you know, my kids were well taken care of, you know, my, my husband stayed home for five years when we had our third one and we, you know, we had, they were loved, they were supported, but in terms of for you, like in getting to be involved and being in as in tune as you want to be, mm -hmm. um, it's just super important. You, you really do have to carve out time. You need to power down. You need to have a date night. You need to, you know, get, give time. I mean, you know, it, it is sometimes quality over quantity, um okay but you know and then there's people that you know they just don't work as much you know they they're like oh i'm going home and i'm just going to be with my family you know i i i had bad habits i just i had to watch practice every day after practice i was a filmaholic and i just i just kind of tended to want to be over prepared i guess or, or very prepared okay I, I say oh i say over prepared now but you know very prepared and yeah and um you know i was always just you know, going kind of the extra mile with my donors and, you know, trying to sell tickets in the community. And uh, there's a lot of things at ASU, like we just weren't resourced as well as people probably thought because we were so successful. Um, oh, we had okay. to do a lot of it, a lot of it ourselves. You know, I had to raise a lot of money. I, I was probably in the bottom third of budget almost my entire career at ASU. Ooh. So things like that were challenging. Yeah. And it just made, it, it made for a lot bigger workload for me. You know, and I'm not complaining when I say that. So please know that I'm not complaining. It just was what it was. And I, I wasn't going to not be successful. I wasn't going to not have fans. So I constantly worked on the marketing. of our. You weren't going to let that and, define what happens with your team. Right. What yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I was going to, and you know, to some degree with women's basketball access and the coaches getting out in the community and marketing and helping sell tickets is part of the deal. I mean, Jeff Walsh at Louisville, Pat Summit, when she was still with us, may she rest in peace. I mean, you know, they got out in the community. They helped sell tickets. They marketed their program. I mean, that that is just something grassroots marketing is part of college women's basketball. And some coaches, you know, they don't have fans, and they kind of complain, and they're like, oh, you know, it's not. But that, you know, historically, we got to do it. You know, it's not. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had an incredible winning percentage at home, in particular after my first five years when, when we got things going didn't mean that fans were going to come yeah you know you had to yeah unfortunately I mean, yeah yeah so um yeah so we worked on it but yeah I mean I think I think it's um you know you have to lead yourself before you can lead others and if you're not having good self-care you're not taking care of yourself and you're not you know having your personal time and your family time you're probably not going to be as great a coach as you can be and it's not worth it you know, is what I would say in hindsight to people, you know, and I, I feel like I did get a lot of time, you know, I, I, I tried to, to do, I mean, I, what happened is I kind of burned out because I just, you know, ran out of energy, <laughs> okay. you know, trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. Um, maybe a little younger, but you know, I wasn't planning on coaching the rest of my life anyway, Miles, honestly, okay. I mean, 30 plus years was plenty. Me. That's a, I always that's a great think, career if you ask yeah, anybody. Thirty years in one in one spot. 30, I mean, well, twenty five doing, doing issue, one but, thing. Right, that, 30, that's, that's great. Thirty three, I think, is my total coaching years, and and that was amazing. You know, and I just have never been this person that was like, you know, this is all I can do. This is what I want to do. I always kind of yeah. felt like, you know, jokingly, I'm like, I'm gonna find a job where my professional success does not depend on the attitude and will of 18 to 22 year old people. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of joke with people about that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, learn new skills, try new things. I'm getting to do that now. And it's, it's been really fun. And, 
you know, of course I have a little better tempo, right? I'm not, you know, grinding, grinding, grinding every day, all day, all the time. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very appreciative. I'm like, I'm ready to not do that for, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. You got to have that, that time where it's now it's just yourself. I mean, you actually are working with uh, the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA right now. So what kind of roles do you have with that? I mean, that's, that's post-coaching career. I mean, you coached a little bit last year, I believe, but now you're mainly with the, the scouting and recruiting systems there. So what kind of roles are you, you doing there? How did that job come to, uh, into your lap? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I always joke, I do gigs now, you know, I'm doing gigs. Like I love my teaching gig, getting to meet students like you miles. And, and I just, I'm a teacher at heart. Like that's my, that's my why. Right. And so I love doing that, um, which is kind of seasonal. Um, I love doing the broadcasting, which is starting to kind of amp up now and in particular, January, February. Um, and then, yeah. So my former assistant was the interim head coach of the Phoenix Mercury this summer, Nikki blue. Um, and when she came on, she needed then to replace her position and she called me and I was just thinking, okay, who can we get you? You know, I'm like, Oh, like trying to help her. Right. Yeah. Um, because I was, you know, trying to help her behind the scenes anyway. And then, I'll, you know, she was, well, I'd really like you. And and so I did it. It was fun. You know, I definitely, if I'm going to, if I was involved in any kind of coaching, it would, I would want to be an assistant coach at this point in my life. So um, Nikki did an amazing job. We were really hopeful she would get, get hired. But, you know, a lot of newness, uh, GM and owners, you know, I don't think really knew her, right? And okay. so then, you know, they went out and kind of, did their thing and um but you know they uh with nikki's blessing um for sure they you know they were um uh you know they offered me a position with college scouting um because again as we established at the beginning of this podcast miles i am very old so um, (laughs) i i know a lot of people you know and and really our newer crew doesn't you know our assistant gm monica rogers is amazing and she knows a ton of people but obviously you know she's younger too so um yeah so they brought me in to kind of not only evaluate but just again I kind of help connect them and stuff so it's a you know position through April we'll see if I end up getting to stay on or if I end up doing other things we're just gonna we agreed to just kind of evaluate after but it's been fun yeah and then I do I do have a, a a small business with a friend of mine and I do mentor a few coaches which is Nice. which is, I kind of started with that when I, when I first retired and yeah, I just, I'm kind of just staying open to whatever okay. presents itself. Um, and you know, may, I might not be doing any of this stuff this time next year. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, we won't have a PAC 12 network. <laughs> yeah. So, that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. I know. Um, <clears throat> yes. And then so I'll have to figure that out and yeah, we'll just go from there, but it's, I've been very fortunate, you know, just to get some different opportunities that, have allowed me to maybe, you know, um, lean into my years of experience, maybe teeny bit of wisdom that I have and and just sort of support and help people in different ways. And Um, so when you're doing your recruiting stuff, I'm very curious on how that looks. So as a, as a scout and as a coach, how, how much are you involved when it comes to the coaching part? And then where are you getting this information? Are you, do you have people all over the place or do you have, specific people you say hey I want you guys to go and check out this group of teams and or I want to you guys just kind of like go out and relay the message to me how does that recruiting stuff work yeah okay big question I'm going to try to like to synthesize it pretty efficiently here but I mean first of all I mean you actually have college coaches out there saying I'm not even recruiting anymore I'm just using the transfer portal Okay. So the world is shifting because we used to be in women's basketball. I mean, we recruited kids for three years and, and, and it was a laborious, I mean, you would not believe the things that we did and the things that we created and, you know, all all the, you know, things that we, you know, how much we showed up at their gym and, you know, Hey, here I am. See me, you know, the babysitting, the, you know, the creative mail, you know, social media stuff, all all that stuff um, for two and three years. So that's kind of, calm down a little bit but um let me back up evaluating um there's a lot of services so some schools will subscribe and you know you're not going to ask i'm not going to have miles evaluate my talent necessarily but he can at least give me a pool of nationally 
of, okay, okay, here's who I think the top 50 kids are. And so, like, we might have known of 20 of them, but the other 30 is like, okay, that kid wasn't on my radar. And so then the big evaluation time is the summer. So okay. it's gone from when I first started in coaching to be like 30 days. I remember I went 23 days and never even came home wow. um, as a young assistant. Now it's it's not very much. It's like 10 days max. It might not even be that. They would keep cutting it down. But it's it's concentrated. It's, you know, these events, there's four coaches out. It's, you know, games 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. or whatever. Yeah. And it's just, you know, concentrated tournaments, lots of evaluating. And that's your primary. And then, you know, there's a few events in the spring and the, and the fall that are club, because these are all club teams, right, in the summer yeah. for the most part. And then there's club events, fall and spring, you know, uh, over weekends and stuff that you, you hit. And then during the season, you know, you just, you know, like I remember on every off day, me and a couple of my staff would be out, you know, seeing a game. I'd be flying to Green Bay to watch Gene Simmons, you know, play a high school game or watch a practice or, you know, those types of things. Okay. So it's, 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 I mean, recruiting Pat Murphy, our former force, our former baseball coach, his saying was recruiting is like shaving. I think it's especially uh, relevant for if, if you're male, <laughs> it's like shaving. If you don't do a little bit every day, you end up looking like a bum. And, you know, that's <laughs> kind of a funny, funny expression. Um, you know, for some of us women, we don't have to shave every day, but, um, but you know, you get the idea that it's just, an, I mean, you could spend 24 hours a day on it. It's just never ending. Right. Cause you're, yeah. you're calling, you're calling club coaches, you're calling high school coaches, you're calling their sphere of influence. You're calling the kid, you're texting the kid, you're sending creative mail. It's, yeah. it's all about, you know, building the relationship. And a lot of that's going to be short circuited now because it's just going to be, Oh, here's their, they're going to have an agent. Okay, Charlie, you know, this kid wants a hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. All right, great. She's yours. Or, yeah. okay, you're, you're one of her visits. You know, she'll visit you. She's got two others, you know, or I can't do that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Thanks anyway. Um, so, and I think unfortunately with that piece takes away from the relationship building, which takes away from these kids really knowing if they're going to be happy at that program. Okay. Um, because I think it's, you know, recruiting is relationship building. At least it was for me, you know, and I learned early, like, you know, anytime it was too quick and easy, a lot of times that's when we made mistakes, you okay. know, you know, kid, Oh, you know, I want to be there. Blah, blah, blah. And, and then, you know, we didn't really vet each other and we just took it. Um, especially when we were terrible, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I would just like, well, I want to talk kids into coming. And uh, that's never a winning strategy. You know, you want to build a relationship, make sure it's a good fit on both ends and then hopefully, you know, give them a great experience and they stay. Yeah, no, that's the biggest thing. And then you also have to show that why you got, they should choose you over other schools that might have a little bit more accolades or maybe um, a, a spot wide open right now, but it seems like you're able to find what, what's best for the players and, and try to show that when you're recruiting them. Well, you just try to figure out what they want. And then, and then you, and you, you know, you, you can cut your losses. Like, okay, that's what they want. We're not a good fit for them. Okay. You know, we might, we might just tell them that, you know, and if you're an experienced recruiter, you, you know, and I tell every kid, once you know what you want, making the decision is going to be easy. If they just sit back and let everybody recruit them, it's a mess. It seems overwhelming. Everybody so sounds much great. On. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, recruit, I mean, we're professional recruiters. Like we're not going to sound bad. I mean, everybody is the best thing, right? Every, yeah. every visit's a huge party. Like, you know, until you get very discerning and really figure out what it is you really want, it's really impossible to make a decision. So yeah. we just tried to coach the kids on doing that and we would help them with the process. If they picked us great, if they didn't fine, but we just wanted them to make a good decision. Cause it's, you know, it's a bummer when you bring a kid in and then they, you know, they don't, they don't make it. Yeah. Big time for sure. So I have a question from uh, my dad, the podcast dad that you guys know, of course. Um, he's wondering, do you prefer when you have a player to mold that player into a system or create a system around those players? Well, I mean, you know, if you're high school, <laughs> you kind of get what you get, but in college, yeah. You know, usually you recruit for the, the, the type of players that you like, um, you know, and for me, it was probably more like character and how like high motor, um, you know, we would we could shift our offense because, you know, you don't always get your top choices. Now, all of a sudden you get your second choice 
in a couple of positions, okay, well, that looks a little different. And so we're going to adjust our offense or kind of things that we're going to do. I mean, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I was, you know, to say we're doing, you know, triangle offense or we're doing dribble drive and, and bring kids in that don't fit that is very, is probably not very, not a winning strategy. So I think we would, you know, recruit like who they were and their character. And of course they had to be athletic and talented mm-hmm. and have skills. Um, and then, you know, you had certain needs every year, right? Okay. We need a point guard. Okay. You know, now yeah. sometimes, you know, we, I love a scoring point guard, you know, every now and then we might sign someone who wasn't as good a scorer as we wanted. Okay. Well, we, we adapt, we adjust. Um, but I think, you know, you adjust to your players for sure. You know, you don't get married to a system or something, um, even in college, even though, you know, you have the ability to recruit. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, you know, the thing is, yeah, you know, you just don't always get your first choices and you have to, and then, you know, maybe somebody leaves and now there's a hole and your whole roster kind of shifts a little bit, or you get an opportunity to get a, you know, great transfer out of the transfer portal, but they don't fit kind of what you were running. So you adjust. Yeah. Which you kind of mentioned this in the classes that I took this, um, this last semester where you have to adjust to, to what you have. You can't, it's not, not, not everything's cookie cutter. You can't just have everything perfect. You have to adjust to, to what you have and try and do better for, for what you have in front of you. Especially offensively, Miles. I mean, defensively, I mean, you should be able to kind of, you know, you know, anybody can be a really good defensive player if they just work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if let's say you have long players that aren't super athletic, you know, well, you're probably, maybe you shouldn't be full court pressing. You know, maybe yeah. you want to do a zone press and use your length. Maybe you play more pack line versus, you know, in their grill pressure. So, but for in general, I mean, I think I can play any defense with any group if I can get them to work hard and be in the right position. So okay. o- offensively is more where you really have to, I'm not saying you wouldn't adjust your defense, but mm-hmm. in particular, like, yeah, you have to really evaluate. And it's not uncommon to get into a season. And I've been mentoring some coaches and, you know, you get to this point and it's like what you were trying to do, it's not working. Yeah. And, you know, it takes, it takes a wise, brave coach to say, okay, this is not working and, and shift it, you know, and, and figure out how to, you know, sell your team and, and, you know, kind of pivot. Um, I remember one of our elite eight years, I mean, we had a team and we, we thought we were just all excited about this four out one in motion. And we started getting into practice and, you know, did some scrimmage games. We were just terrible at it. Like it just didn't work for us. So we, you know, we immediately, we threw it out, we shifted and we had an elite eight year, you know, we were the top teams in the country. Yeah. But thank, you know, I think credit our staff for, you know, not trying to do something that we just weren't good at. You think um, when you're talking with these other coaches or even yourself, do you think being playing at that high level um, before getting into coaching really helps you prevail to be this high level coach or even just successful at the college level? Or even if like you're a pro player going into pro coaching, like, do you think that's necessary or do you think just understanding the game, understanding how to coach is just as valuable? I do not think it's necessary but I do think it's some of the best training for coaches because as I joke with you in class all the time about is there is no credentialing for coaching. So, you know, these people that are playing, it's not like, Oh yeah, I was playing and I should have been getting my degree in coaching. Well, no one's getting their degree in coaching and nobody's really getting, you know, this, this great masterful uh, degree or, you know, education or whatever. So it really is a lot of, who you become as a coach is who you played for, you know, probably starting in high school, right. To college, to possibly pro, you know, who you work with and your own self-education. And so, you know, those are the things that, that, that people rely on. So I do think, you know, people that have played at the highest level and have been around some, you know, really good coaching have a huge leg up um, on, on other people, but there are some great coaches out there that didn't. You know, and they just love the game and study the game. And I mean, can you do that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And you see, I don't, I don't know what level Eric Spolkstra played, but I know, you know, he came out of the film room, right. And now he's one of the the top coaches in the NBA. And there's a lot of great stories of that. And people that I know in coaching that, you know, played in high school or they played small college, you know, but the other thing that's, 
I will say that the best coaches are not necessarily the college coaches. There are some of the best coaches in basketball are coaching high school or they're coaching small college. Sue Phillips just got inducted into the women's basketball hall of fame. She coaches at Mitty high school. Um, You know, she's done USA. She's done Bobby Hurley senior, Mm -hmm. you know, has turned down tons of college jobs. He doesn't want to do it. He loves what he does. He's a phenomenal basketball coach. Oh yeah. For sure. So Morgan Wooten, you know, largely, you know, regarded as one of the top basketball coaches as a high school coach. Interesting. So, well, I have a few more questions, just to kind of like a wrap up, sure. fire away kind of questions before I wrap this one up. So, if you weren't a basketball coach, what sport do you think you could coach the best at? Well, I played baseball and softball um, through through high school, um, and I was a catcher uh, in high school uh, for softball. So, and I did get recruited for it too. I actually had oh, some scholarship nice. offers for softball. So, I mean, I probably I would definitely say softball. You know, because okay. I played it at a pretty high level. Nice. Yeah. Okay. If you had one person from any sport, doesn't have to be basketball, to be on your coaching staff to help you out, who would it be and why? Any person from any sport. Well, I think I would pick someone from basketball, right? Some people have like maybe like Coach Belichick or something like that, just like the way he runs his teams and stuff like that. But yeah. this, is, this is for you. Any coaches out there that you would prefer or you would want to have on your staff? Well, I mean, I'm just going to say something kind of fun because, I mean, you know, if I – obviously, we're just pie in the sky in it right now. Yeah. But um, but I'm a huge Phil Jackson fan. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, just his approach, you know, just kind of body, mind, spirit with his team and and, and – I mean, in his, you know, younger days, you know, I, I think, I mean, obviously John Wooden was way ahead of his time, you know, and he, he mm-hmm. would be another one that, you know, to, to, to work with and learn from. Um, but, you know, Phil Jackson, I just feel like he got it. He got it before a lot of people got it and he was special. Um, yeah. You know, so, and, and he's, he would be unique to me. Like I know a lot, like I know Tara, I know a lot of people in the women's game. I've been around them. I've learned mm-hmm. from them. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of thinking of somebody that would be someone that I've never had a chance to really get to know and learn from. Interesting. Yeah. I love the Lakers growing up. I still do. Of course, I'm not that diehard about the Lakers, but that is my team that I do follow. So of course I know Phil with those Kobe and, and uh, uh, Gasol years. So I love right. that. Answer. Well, the, the Chicago years are probably what he's even more known for, but oh, uh, yeah, I love watching that. Uh, what was with that? Michael the, Jordan the yeah. the last dance i thought that was great when a little yes, bit more especially because yes. of course i didn't live through that era so watching it and just seeing another side of it was really fun for me all right so if you weren't a coach i think you kind of answered this earlier but what career would have you liked to go into well i did yeah i was i was excited about sports psychology you know i was excited about you know just helping you know, in that arena of the sporting world. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if they would have had a broadcasting school at Stanford. I mean, that probably would have been a fun major. I, I probably would have actually enjoyed that. Too. I could definitely see you in that. So e- either one of those, I think, would have been really fun. How do you want to be remembered by your players? Like, how would they describe you? Um, I think they would just describe me as someone that genuinely cared about them. And that taught them um, a lot way beyond basketball. I love it. Uh, that's a great, short, straight to the point answer. I Honestly, I think, I mean, I've only known you for a short amount of time. I feel I get the same energy from you. You care about everybody. You want everyone to, to do their best. And you're open to helping anybody out, no matter how you, uh, however we need it, in other words. Yeah. Well, thanks, Miles. That That is how I try to live my life. And I'm very blessed because I'm at a point in my life too now, especially where it's just a huge give back time. So, but it, that's, that's how we were at ASU. We were all about, you know, just, it was all always about so much more than just basketball. That's awesome. Well, coach, I mean, that's all the questions I had for you. I really appreciate <laughs> you coming on and, and talking sports and talking your life with me. I really appreciate that. 
Yeah, you're super impressive, Miles. I, I enjoyed being here and uh, I wish you the best with your podcast moving forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Any final shout outs or plugs that you want to let the people know about? Um, you know, I think just, uh, you know, stay tuned with the Mercury and, and, you know, maybe tune into Pac-12 Network and feel free to, you know, give me any constructive criticism on my broadcasting. How's that? All right. <laughs> um, but good. yeah, no, and for you, stay in touch and anything, you know, obviously any way we can, I can help you. Will do. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You bet. Well, hey, guys, that will do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. I know it's a little bit of a long one, but it was a really good one, really fun to do. I appreciate Coach for helping me out with this one. Episode 81 is in the books. Episode 82 set to record tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. That will be the last episode of 2023. We'll be back at it on January 3rd of the following year. So check out the socials for all of that. Those are linked down below, Twitter, Instagram, or X, whatever you like to call it. Appreciate you guys listening. Have an awesome holiday weekend, and we'll see you guys later.